Are you looking for a job? Do you know someone who's looking for a job? Then check out our job board over at revisionpath.com forward slash jobs. Whether you want a full-time job or you're looking for something temporary or freelance, we've got you covered. This week, Tamarack Media Cooperative is looking for a coder for environmental initiatives. Also, Revision Path is looking for staff writers. So check out the Revision Path job board over at revisionpath.com forward slash jobs and find your next job today. You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Welcome to the Revision Path Podcast. My name is Maurice Cherry, and before we get into this week's interview, I want to talk about our sponsors, MailChimp and Hover. MailChimp is the best software out there for sending marketing emails, automated messages, and targeted campaigns. Join more than 10 million people who use MailChimp to design and send 600 million emails every day. Sign up today at MailChimp.com. When you have a great idea, you want to secure a great domain name for it, and that's where Hover comes in. Hover makes it easy for you to find that domain name that you want, get it up and running with no hassle and no heavy-handed upselling. So go ahead and grab yourself a domain today and use our promo code REVISIONPATH and save 10% off your purchase. Here's our Patreon fundraising campaign update. So two big things here. First, we're up to 31 patrons right now. That's great. We hit that uh, 30 patron mark, I think about a few days ago. And that puts us at a combined total of $207.47 per month. So now we're over the $200 month range, which is great. Uh, again, huge thanks for everyone that has already pledged your support and your appreciation for the show. If you want to become a patron of Revision Path and get access to some great perks like special giveaways, early access to future episodes, and free Revision Path swag, head on over to patreon.com forward slash revision path and make that happen. Pledge levels are super affordable. They start at just $1 per month, and it's a great way to support the show on a regular basis. We now have a Slack community. I mentioned this last week. So if you want to come chat with me and chat with other Revision Path supporters, head over to revisionpath.com forward slash slack and sign up for an invite. We have a little over 40 people right now. I think I think we're probably at 43. So it's still growing, but the room is really pretty active with conversation. So come on through, say hi and uh, talk to the rest of the community. It'll be a great thing. All right. Now for this week's interview, I talked with Los Angeles based mobile developer Vaughn Dabney. Let's start the show. All right, so tell us who you are and what you do. My name is Vaughn Dabney, and I am an app developer, entrepreneur, and the owner of Empty Box Media. Talk to me about Empty Box Media. Where did the idea for you to start that business come from? What kind of services do you provide? I know you mentioned app development, I'm sure, is, is one of them. Yes, so I actually started this company, well, I... Take it back to college. Uh, my last year of college, I actually taught myself how to code, took on a client pro bono, and I knew immediately that this is what I wanted to do. I wanted to create, at the time, I wanted to create websites that could be viewed by potentially millions of people. That was an amazing idea to me. So that's what I started to learn. I got jobs with many tech companies. I used to work for MySpace. I used to work for Turner. And I've always been an entrepreneur, so eventually it was like, okay, well, how can I turn this into 
a sustainable company that I can then, my goal at the time was to work and be able to travel anywhere I wanted and still be able to make money. And so fast forward to now, this is what I do. And about three years ago is when I moved from web development into mobile development. Apps are the future. They are pushing forward our, our lives. And so there was a platform that came out called Accelerator, and they have this product by the name of Titanium, and it allows me mm. to rapidly create apps on a whole new scale. And it transformed my business and allowed me to increase profits by 400%. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, I'm familiar with uh, with Accelerator. The guy that, that started, his name is Jeff Haney. Yes. Yeah, Jeff used to Atlanta. live here in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I met Jeff for the first time. God, this was, <laughs> this was like 2006, 2007 maybe yeah. when he was sort of first coming out with uh, – I don't know if Titanium was out yet, but I remember Accelerator. Yeah. And, and Titanium is, I guess, one of the frameworks that's that's within Accelerator. Yeah, Titanium came out around, uh, I believe it was 2008. Okay. Um, they released it in 2000 and I think – Oh, maybe it was maybe it was a little longer than that. Maybe it was like 2011 or 10, and I got on it around 2012. Okay. Yeah. What makes Titanium in particular such an attractive framework for you to work with? A titanium is beautiful in the fact that the SDK, or I'm sorry, the it's beautiful in the fact that the API is based around JavaScript. So I already knew JavaScript from doing web, and it's a custom. API, so I had to learn, you know, their syntax. But other than that, it's super easy to use, and I can develop for both iOS and Android within the same code base. Oh, nice! Every so often, I have to change something for Android or for iOS, but pretty much it's the same code base. And this is why it increased my productivity. I mean, rapid development takes on a whole new meaning with my company now. Uh, so I can provide working prototypes with design within two weeks to all my clients. And this is something that they've never had before. You know, they usually had to wait four Mm -hmm. weeks for something to be given to them that they can actually run and use in their phones. But with Titanium, I mean, it just, it's a game changer. The community is great. The the support is great. So, I mean, I've had no complaints. I see, you know, even the mobile apps that you've worked on, I mean, they look really great. You did an app for Founders Card, uh, for their Android app. You did the NAACP Image Awards app, of course, the Image Awards are coming up next month. And you've done a lot of uh, like productivity apps as well. Correct. Sounder, Social Note, Collective. Talk to me kind of about what your, your process is like when you're designing a new app, like from scratch. Uh, are we talking about internal? So if I... Uh, if I yeah, we'll say internal, okay. yeah. Most necessity is, the mother, is the mother, necessity is the mother of invention. So for me, it's kind of like I, I have a need for an app and it's... It's a matter of just laying out the, the design, the UX, the, the, the usability of the app, and fleshing it out. I mean, that's the beautiful thing about what I do is I can immediately start on, on an app. I can start developing right away. I'm a designer and a developer, so it, it kind of goes from planning to design to implementation and then release. So take Collective, for example. It's an app that allows you to organize the people you follow on Instagram into lists that make sense. So you could have a list of photographers. You know, photography is huge on Instagram right now. You have all these guys with 
hundreds of thousands of followers and they take these epic pictures of places they've traveled to. Mm-hmm. So if I have a list of photographers, I can see just their feed. In collective, I can see just their feed of photos. I can see the comments, anything I want about the photo, and I can swipe through and see, you know, I think I, I pull in the top 20. So I can see all those photos and I don't have to sift through my regular feed in Instagram. I could just go straight there. I know who I want to see. Or if I want to check up on my friends, I have a friends list. It's a curated experience. And we'll, I'll actually be releasing an update to that uh, within the next month. Talk to me about what a typical day is like for you. You're waking up, you're getting your day started, what that's like. Some people are going to hate me for this, but uh, <laughs> just, just, just know that it wasn't always like this. Okay. There were days <laughs> when I was working 18 to 20 hours. But now I'll get up around maybe 10 or 11. Sometimes I have to get up earlier because of uh, client calls on the East Coast. So if they schedule a call at 9 or, I mean, I'm sorry, at 12 or 11, I have to get up at 8 or 9, depending on what time it is. But for the most part, I get up around 10, 11 a.m. and I'll answer emails, do a little work for a little while. I'll go get some physical activity in midday, whether it's basketball or going to the gym. Come back, eat lunch. I'll work for maybe another three or four hours. I'll go get dinner, be social. Uh, The important thing for me, because I'm always at home, is Mm -hmm. for me to make sure my social skills are up to par. And the only way for me to do that is to be social. And so I'll, I'll go to, to restaurants, bars, and places like that by myself and just talk to whoever's there. That's super important to me because it keeps me sharp. But so I'll do that around happy hour time. And then maybe around eight or nine, I'll come back home, unwind. And then from 10 to 2 a.m., 3 a.m. every day is when I get most of my work done. When it's quiet, when nobody's emailing me, when nobody's calling me, when everybody's asleep, that's what I work. Okay. Yeah. No, that's good. I'm, I'm sort of like that same way. I get a lot of my work done either early in the morning or, or late at night because in the middle I'm, I'm doing meetings, I'm doing calls, I'm doing interviews like I'm, I'm doing now. Right. So it, it kind of varies what the middle of my day looks like, which I'm glad you mentioned that social part because I do tend to work at night. And oftentimes that will be when, you know, there are social events like a, a mixer or a meetup or something like that. So I have to try to juggle, okay, working days and then going out and socializing. Because as you know, as an entrepreneur, that's that's an important part too, getting out into the community right. and talking to people right. about what you do. Right. Yeah, always. What's the LA tech scene like for you? I've only been here for about uh, six months. And okay. um, it's definitely different than the East Coast. I think there's more opportunity here to network with the right people. But I'm not the person that says, okay, well... I'm in this location, this is going to hinder my clients or my client base. This is going to hinder me from getting new clients. For me, it's just like wherever I'm at, I'm going to find clients, whether they're in the same state as me or not. So being in California just has the advantage of tech is here. California is a pioneer state when it comes to technology. So you you have San Francisco, which is, I mean, an hour, hour and a half flight at the most. Um, and then you have Silicon Beach, which is it's being built, you know, with Google coming down here and creating new opportunities. And so there's there's a Silicon Beach being developed closer to the L.A. scene. And people are hoping that it, it kind of becomes what Silicon Valley was. But, there, but there's there's plenty of people to network with everywhere. Um, I don't I don't look at it as I'm in California and 
any anything different. It's just for me, it's anybody and everybody's is fair game. Mm-hmm. So speaking, I guess, of clients, what kind of clients do you work best with? Is it a particular industry or is it a certain feeling that you have for a client? I definitely work off feeling. And when I talk to clients initially, that first call is is crucial for me to not only make them comfortable, but for them to make me feel comfortable. The last thing anybody wants is a problem client. So these are the clients that are very nitpicky. They don't really know what they want, even after you explained it and they say, yes, this is what I want. They still don't know what they want. Right. And I can kind of get a feel for that as I'm explaining and as I'm talking to people. And I will let clients know like, hey, I don't think I'm the right fit for you. Uh, let me know if there's anything I can do. Because I think starting out for people starting out and, and, and running their own company, just in a general sense, it's hard to say no to new business. It's hard to say mm-hmm. no to, to that check that, that you really need, that you're struggling. I've been there. And there will be a time when it comes where you can be discerning. You can be particular about who you take on as a client. And, and that's where I'm at now. So I'm, I'm so grateful to be able to say, hey, like, I don't think I'm a good fit for whatever reason. And the client can move on. But there's no specific industry. There's no particular client. It's just a matter of feeling. And if I can complete the job, then usually it happens. Uh, most people who call me are from word of mouth referrals. So if they're calling me, they, they have already made the decision that they probably want to work with me. So now it's just, yeah, now it's just a matter of fine tuning details and laying out the scope of the project. What do you see for the future of Empty Box Media? I mean, like, do you have any big plans for things this year? I do. Major growth. So I'm at a pivotal point in, in what I'm doing. I need to bring on another developer. I am talking to a project manager right now to bring him on. And I'm also, I just today, this morning, I had an interview with a sales guy. And I'm really trying to ramp things up this year. I set goals every year for myself as far as like monthly income. And, you know, this year I set it a little higher. And so I'm hoping with this team, if I can get a well-oiled machine going, that it'll start to pick up momentum and I'll get to where I want to go. I'm looking for that half million dollar revenue stream coming in very soon. Within the next two years, I'm, I'm trying to get there. I think it's good when entrepreneurs kind of decide when they get to that point where they realize they do need help. Because one, it sort of takes a lot of the onus off of you to do everything within your business. Right. You know, you, you get people that can do these certain specific tasks, and then that frees up more time for you to do what you want to do with the business, particularly around sales. And I'm so glad you mentioned that because when I started my business a while ago, that was one of, I think probably one of the first things I wanted to do was bring on someone that does like sales or business development or something. Cause then that would give me more time to focus on the coding Mm -hmm. and the designing aspect of it. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think those are good goals to have, particularly since you, you sort of know that your business is at that point where, it's growing to the point where you can't take on all the work yourself. Right. I think the, the number one challenge for every entrepreneur is delegation. So being able to take everything off of yourself and delegate it to the appropriate people who can then help you grow even further. One thing I saw when I was looking through your, your LinkedIn profile that, that really sort of struck me, you went to DeVry University. Mm-hmm. And you received your bachelor's degree in electronics, engineering, technology. And now DeVry has a certain 
stigma, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. I want to say in the tech community, but I feel like it's sort of branched out in general. The sort of stigma that because DeVry is a for-profit school that it doesn't have, I guess, adequate curriculum for education or the people that come out of DeVry right. don't have what it takes to sort of compete in the working world. Talk to me about kind of what your time was like there as a student. DeVry was amazing for me. I know that when I first went there, I mean, even myself, I had this uh, notion that, okay, this is kind of like a trade school, when really it's not. It's not, you know, ITT, DeVry, some of these other online schools. A long time ago, they were just trade schools. They were Mm -hmm. just basic uh, for-profit. But it's grown so much, and I love that I went to DeVry. I had such a great time. My teachers were knowledgeable. They challenged me. And I mean, that's a big thing for me to say. Like, When a teacher challenges me, I respect that teacher and that professor so much. So not only was the, the curriculum relevant, but we applied things. After the, my first two weeks there, we were applying things that we had learned. That's where it kind of touched me. I'm a heuristic person. So I need hands-on. I need to put this breadboard together. I need to test these things out on the, on the circuit board. I need to do all these things. And that's exactly what we did two weeks in. And I was hooked. After that, I was hooked. And so, you know, I, I finished out my three-year degree there after going. I did, a, I did one year at Ohio State. And mm-hmm. it was way too expensive for my mom to uh, pay for it. So I came home. That's when I went to DeVry. And I finished out in the same amount of time. And I will always support DeVry and anybody who wants to go there. So you feel like they really kind of did prepare you once you once you graduated to get out there and, and be a uh, someone that could compete in the job market. Yeah. And I mean, even though I, I don't have a job that is relevant to my degree, I think the just the knowledge base and the the opportunity that I had there prepared me for life in general. But yeah, I mean, my degree has nothing to do with what I do now. Yeah, I think that's I think that's common for a lot. Of yeah. People. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. <laughs> You go to school for one thing and, and you would like, I mean, like I, I went to school for math. I'm not a math teacher. I don't do anything really with math. But one thing that you and I have in common, so you went to DeVry for, for undergrad. I went to Keller Graduate. So I got my graduate okay, degree yeah, from there. Yeah. And and after that, a few years later, I came back and taught for a few years in the uh, business department teaching um, web development. So no, it's, it's a shining testimonial for you to say those things about the teachers and how they kind of help to bring that that sort of relevant part of the curriculum yeah. out for students because that's something that I know that I was really trying to put forth when I was there as an educator. Like, we have to change this curriculum because this stuff that we might be teaching them, it might give them a certain base of knowledge, but if they get out there and try to get a job coding, this is not what they're going to need. They need to know this. Right. So for me, that's, I mean, personally, that's a good thing to hear uh, so talk to me, when you graduated DeVry, what was kind of the, the first job that you did right out of college? So when I graduated, I had I was already working with IBM at the time. as an, okay. was, The position was called an SSR. can't remember what. It's like service, service representative or something like that. So basically, we would go to department stores like Macy's or Best Buy or Bed Bath & Beyond, and we would install the credit card terminals in okay. in the stores. And we would do this from like 11 p.m. to 7 a.m. at night. And, you know, we'd be there all the whole time. 
long process, but I mean, you know, it was like $16 an hour and it was relevant to my degree. So I was doing that, I think, I think my last year. And then when I graduated, I asked them if I could move to Atlanta and still keep the job. And they said, sure, why not? So I moved to Atlanta. I already had a job. I had a, a place to stay with a friend for a while and it was decent money. And in the meantime, I was still working on my web development stuff. I was, I had my client or I, I think I had a couple clients at that time. And there was a point where I wanted to just get into software, get into development full time. And I applied to a job with MySpace. And I think it was through like a, a recruiting firm, but it was still, you know, it was for MySpace. And they ended up hiring me based on what I had taught myself my last year, which was I mean, that was amazing for me. I was like, man, like, you know, I, I didn't think I was anywhere near what they wanted, but I got a job with them. And this was an R&D arm of MySpace based in Atlanta. There's about 15 of us. And that was, that was probably one of the best jobs I've ever had to this day. It was just a great group of people. I learned so much from the senior developers, as well as the designers, the manager, the managing director. I'm still friends with her to this day. I call her all the time. And whenever I'm in Atlanta, uh, we all meet up and go out to eat and have drinks. Like everybody has their own companies now. And so it's just a, it's a really great company for me. That's when things started to kick off. And then we, in 2009, when the economy collapsed, mm -hmm. we were all laid off. And so 2009 was my first year that I worked full time for myself. One of the hardest years of my life. It taught me so much. So, yeah, I mean, that's what my journey was just getting out of college. Yeah, my first year of business was actually it was kind of 2009 because I started in November 2008, right when actually right when Barack Obama was uh, <laughs> won the election. Okay. I quit my job that not the same week. It was a few weeks after that. I quit my job and decided I would strike out on my own. But, yeah, man, that first year is make or break. It's tough. What what was it like for you? I mean, I know it's you know just sort of like what you said. It was, it was tough. But what were sort of some of the challenges that you really had? Oh man, what wasn't a challenge? <laughs> so so this is the story that I always give whenever I give talks or seminars. I was living north of Atlanta, uh, near Perimeter Mall, and mm -hmm. I was in this this complex, basically surrounded by trees, and you know I had. Most of the neighbors around me were older people. It was, I mean, I have no idea why I chose this place, but I did. The rent was about $700 at the time. I was like, okay, I can afford this. I had a little bit of severance from MySpace. I was like, okay, I need to make this work. And problem number one, because of all those trees around, there was zero service for my phone. <laughs> and at the time I had Clear. Clear was... Oh, I remember Clear. Yeah, so Clear was a mobile hotspot company. Sprint now owns them. But yeah. there was no reception for Clear. There was no reception for Sprint. And I had these little sticky notes around the house. And these sticky notes represented where I could stand to get the best reception <laughs> or where I should put my Clear hotspot to get the most bars. Uh -huh. uh, so I would, I would do this. Sometimes I would have to go outside because I just I couldn't get anything. And so I would... I would talk to clients out in the parking lot. You know, people are coming home and they're looking at me crazy because I'm walking around the parking lot on the phone. My car insurance lapsed. I couldn't pay that. So I couldn't drive my car legally. The only time I drove it illegally was to go roller skating. 
okay. You know, I, there was one week where I couldn't pay my heating bill. So I had an electric stove. And what I would do to take a shower is I would take two pots of water and I would, I would boil the water. And then I would bring it into the bathtub. And so one pot was for the washing and the other pot wow. was for rinsing off. And I did this for, it's like two weeks, two or three weeks that I did this um, until I could pay, you know, my heat bill. And I mean, mm-hmm. I come from humble beginnings anyway, uh, but it was just, it was, it was an eye opener. But it, the one thing it didn't do was deter me. Um, so all these things happen, but you always have that hope. If you really want it, you always have that hope that it's going to get better. And this is just, this is just part of the process. It's part of the journey. And I knew it would get better. So I just kept working. I just kept banging it out. And there was a Starbucks down the street for me. I would walk there every day. I would work. They'd know my name. They'd know my drink. I'd be in there loyal. And September of 2009, I replied to an ad on Craigslist for a developer position. And I think in two weeks, I had the job. They hired me as my company. So I was a contractor. And mm-hmm. the game changed. I mean, I, I, I was making a lot more money. I was doing fun things, working on great projects with great people. And I was there for about uh, two and a half years. And that's when things started to get more steady and I got more jobs because I had more experience under my belt. And I, you know, during that time in 2009, I had a lot of time to work on personal projects and I really developed my programming chops up. So needless to say that that year was one of the hardest years of my life as an entrepreneur, but it was probably one of the best years of my life. There, there are three people who know that struggle personally with me and they know what I went through. They know, you know, they were there with me at, at Panera and Starbucks working every day, or, mm-hmm. you know, I have a friend who she was my ride. Like she would come get me and we would go out to eat or she would take me places, but there's only a few people who know about that. And I mean, it, it was just, it was real. It was real. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, man, that 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 is real. <laughs> that is real. I mean, and and to have I mean, but I think, you know, like you said, that experience really is what forged in you the the motivation and the need to succeed it sounds yeah. like. Yeah. Yeah, I think I, I tell people this all the time and there's no way there's no way you can be an entrepreneur and not be humble and not have some kind of humility in you. You know, I you know, unless you, you don't need to work anymore, you have everything you need, fine. Right. <laughs> you, should, you should still be humble. But they, I'm sure there are people that, that aren't. But as far as like you being on the grind and you wanting to see your vision come to life, you can't, you can't not be humble. Mm-hmm. It, it comes with the territory because there are things that you'll have to do that you don't want to do just so you can do the things that other people can't later on. Yeah. What excites you the most about your work right now? Like, is there like a particular project that you're doing or anything that you can talk about? It's, um, I don't think it comes down to a project for me. I think it's the creation. At heart, I'm a creative person. So for me to be able to take this, this far-fetched idea, this, this uh, notion in somebody's mind or my mind and then manifest it into an app, it's just an, it's a, it's an amazing thing to experience. You know, I keep some of my drawings on my, my big post-it note paper or, you know, a notebook. I make it at a point to take a picture of the drawing and then take a picture of the app on the phone. And, and it's just, it's a, it's a beautiful thing to see. 
the manifestation. And so that kind of keeps me going to be able to say, like, I can I can take this drawing and make something functional out of it. And, and then I can share it with people and they can use it. So, again, that principle of millions, potentially millions of people being able to use something that came from my hands and some lines of code. Is that why you do a lot of productivity apps? Yeah. Do you think it's sort of linked to I, that? I think, I think for me, I'm an efficient person, highly efficient. Mm-hmm. So for me, productivity is key in, in that efficiency model. And so most of my ideas are like, okay, well, how can I make this better? How can I make this faster? How can I make this more efficient? And so productivity apps come from that. Right. What would you say is your dream project? If, you, if the opportunity just dropped in your lap tomorrow – what would that be? What would that look like for you? I think I would really love to do something experiential with Nike. Mm. I would love to to create an engaging app with Nike that is beyond the, the tracker, you know, the fitness tracker. It's beyond just health, but it's, it's kind of like a total experience for the user. So whether that be augmented reality, where you know you might hold your phone up while you're running and you can see different paths that other runners have taken or just beyond what they're doing right now what most of these sports companies are doing and all the fitness companies companies are doing something beyond that but nike is definitely a dream client of mine so like something past the wearable stage yeah i mean it could definitely include wearables but just I don't know what that would be, whether it's integration of wearables for in a T-shirt. You know, right now we have wearables that are bracelets, rings, necklaces. But mm-hmm. my thought process is beyond that. It's like, when will we have wearables that we're already wearing? When will we have wearables that are part of our T-shirts, a part of our pants, part of our shoes that we can just slip on and they're reading our biometrics or they're reading our heart rate or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. But just past that accessory wearable. That's an idea. Again, I I don't know what could happen with that, but I would love to work with Nike. Let's switch gears here a little bit. I want to talk more about about you as a person. Who do you look to for inspiration? Is there anyone in particular? Like, Do you have a a mentor or anyone professional that you look up to? I don't have a mentor. It's terribly hard to find one who is an overachiever that is reachable, you know, that, that I can connect with. But as far as inspiration is concerned, you know, I look at some of the people in my network who I've known for a long time and I've seen their growth and I've seen their the potential. And so that kind of gives me the same motivation like, hey, like I remember them five years ago. I remember when they were just first starting out and where they were at. And I and, and I see where they're at now. And I still talk to those people this day. And, you know, I try and connect with them as often as possible so I can get some of that energy and fuel off that. So I wouldn't say it's, it's any one particular person, but more so a group of people who I'm extremely close with that I've seen get results. Something that I read on your, your website really resonated with me. You wrote, I'm a firm believer in doing what you love no matter what it takes. Happiness is the most important. Don't like your job? Quit. Mm. Need a new location to live? Move. This way of thinking works for me. Talk to me about how that's worked for you and why that's so important. You know, I'm sure I caused my mom a lot of headaches with this, <laughs> with this, <laughs> this philosophy. You know, I, I can't count how many times she told me, Vaughn, you need to get a job. 
I was struggling for money at times. It's like, Vaughn, you just need to get a job. Like, you need to get a regular job and stay there. It doesn't matter what it is. You need to stay there. And for me, that didn't quite work because if I'm unhappy at a job, it's going to show. It's going to show on my face, first of all, <laughs> and it's going to show in my work. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's important to be happy first and foremost, because then you can deliver at 100%, right? If you are trying to give somebody something, if you are trying to provide your services or your energy or talent to somebody and they need 100% from you, but you're only there 70%, you don't even want to be there 100%, you're only there 70%, how can you give that person 100% if you don't have it? And so you're doing a disservice to that person who has hired you and yourself because that 70% is not going to stay there. It's going to deplete. And pretty soon you're at 20% wondering why you're still there. You have ill will feelings towards the job. You don't want to go. You wake up saying, I don't want to drive to work. You know, when it gets to that point, you need to reevaluate where you're at and what you're doing because if you find a way to be happy or a place to be happy, the money will come. You will be able to make money from that. And, and the, the challenge is finding out what you're good at doing, whether it's working for yourself or whether it's working for somebody, you need to find out what makes you happy and what satisfies you. That is a principle that I've lived by since I was a teenager. I can't stress that enough because society has a standard of what is successful, right? Society says, if you're rich, if you have this house, if you have this car, if you're doing this, you're doing that, that's successful. But that's wrong. Success is always relative to the individual. You could be in Bali on a beach house paying peanuts and you have a business that doesn't require you to be in any one location and and you can make... I don't know, $50,000 a year, but that's fine because you're in Bali and it goes a lot further, right? So it's Mm -hmm. all relative to your situation. So if success for you is the money, the house, the cars, the big family, that's fine. That's for you. But as long as you are happy, that's what matters. So take the person working 90 hours a week and they get $200,000 a year and they don't have any time to themselves. They're probably miserable. They're probably burnt out. But they feel trapped. It's, it's all a mentality. They feel trapped like they can't do anything else or like they need to maintain that money to live their lifestyle. And, and granted, you might have to change some things in order to be happy. But I'd rather make $50,000 work 20 hours a week and have my time to myself versus the other situation. But I, I firmly believe that happiness is, is what you need to strive for first. What makes you happy? Being able to have my time to myself. I think time is underrated because, again, we're forced to live by the money, the money standard. But I make decent money. I work hard for it. But I have my time to myself. I can get up and, and go across the country if I want to right now and not have to worry about anything. And I can stay there and I can visit with my family and I can visit with friends that I haven't seen in a long time. And then I can come back here in a week. And... It'll be like nothing ever happened. So for me, time is like nobody can, nobody can pay me 
to take away my time. I value it so much. And I can do so many things with it. I can, I can network when other people can't. I can travel when other people can't. I can go out and get food and just enjoy the day when other people can't. I'm not trying to flaunt that either. I'm just saying these are things that there are opportunities that I have that other people don't just because I have my time, if that makes sense. No, that makes sense. Yeah. I understand that. Yeah. I like what you said about saying, you know, that success is is relevant to the individual. I tell people that I mentor something similar to that. Like I tell them, like, you have to define what success looks like for you. Right. Because I think when you're particularly if you're just starting in this industry and you look and see, you know, the the Mark Zuckerberg or this whatever, you look at that as the level of success that you might want to attain. But like, is that really what you want? Right. Like really like spend time with yourself and think about what success looks like to you because it might not it might not be that. It might be like you said, fifty thousand dollars a year in Bali. It might be it might be six thousand dollars a month, you know, in a nice apartment somewhere. It, I yeah. mean, whatever that looks like for you, define what that is and then sort of work and strive towards that. Absolutely. If you weren't doing what you do now, what do you think you would uh would work on? I see that you're really into photography. Love photography. Uh, I came across it happenstance. It was just a way for me to get into events and, and clubs and parties in Atlanta when I, when I first moved. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. So, uh, Nothing wrong at all. And, and one, of the, one of the people that I was describing as far as like motivation and inspiration is Nicole Garner from the Garner Circle, who is based down there in Atlanta. And yeah, I got on her list as a photographer and started shooting with her you know, occasional events and I became her go-to. They put me on as their official photographer and I would shoot every event up until, you know, the time I left Atlanta. But yeah, I mean, it, it came around and I ended up enjoying it. People liked my pictures and I was like, okay, well, you know, maybe I need to take this more seriously. Um, so I've done a, I've done a few projects and I've, I've done a, a couple of shoots. I, I love traveling and doing travel photography. So that could possibly be Maybe what I end up doing, I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, it would be something creative for sure. Yeah. What gets you in, in like the zone, like when you're working or, or when you need to come up with ideas, what gets you in that creative zone? Music. Music. I, I'll put some music on and whatever I need to do, whether it's designing or planning out an app or actually doing the development part. Uh, when I put that music on, you know, you just get into that rhythm and it's 10 o'clock one minute you look, you look up and the next minute it's five o'clock in the morning. You know, you just, yeah. I'm sure, you know, you just oh, yeah. you get into the zone and you get into that rhythm. Nobody's calling you, nobody's bothering you and you just bang it out, you know? So any artists in particular? Yeah. So I know people have probably heard about this, but, uh, whenever I really need to get something done, I will put on Mozart. So I will listen to a CD that has classical Mozart pieces on it. And I'll just listen to that. And it, the Mozart effect, mm -hmm. I, whether it's true or not, um, it really helps me concentrate. The, the, the music helps me concentrate and get shit done. So <laughs> other than that, like, you know, if I'm just, if I'm not going to be working for more than like an hour or two, which is, you know, that's the time frame where you really get in the zone. If I'm working two hours or less, I'll put on like D'Angelo or um, Rory Hargrove. I have a couple of mixes that are labeled. My playlists are labeled work. And so I'll mm -hmm. put those work playlists on. And, you know, it's just 
not too hard, not too harsh, soul music, R&B, jazz, and I'll just play those songs. And, you know, it's easy for me to kind of like sing along and, and still develop. Yeah. Where do you see yourself in the next few years? Like, say it's it's 2020. What's Vaughn Dabney doing? What's he working on? Vaughn has grown his company. Empty Box Media has grown. We have employees. I'd really like to get into R&D with both hardware and software. A little known fact about me, a lot of people don't know that I'm also an inventor. So I have a few products that I'm working on that I'd like to get out in the next couple of years. So R&D, I'd love to have some investors on board and to be able to bang out, uh, you know, hardware, software, forward thinking products that, you know, contribute to the world, that contribute to society, that make a difference, that are impactful. That's, that's really where I'd like to be. I'd love to be able to do that because ideation is what I excel at. Can you talk about one of your inventions? Yeah, of course. So I have, um, uh, the, the, the full patent is pending. I have the provisional, but I actually designed a MacBook specific case that has two slots in it to integrate hard drives. So, you know, everybody walks around with an external hard drive. Almost mm-hmm. everybody has one. And, you know, they come in the pretty little case, plastic, whatever. But inside there, the actual hard drive is in there. And that's what's in your computers, your laptops. So what I, what I did was, I created this case that kind of like slopes up on the computer and underneath that there are two slots where you can plug in internal hard drives. So you can actually expand your computer. I mean, I think the largest hard drive I've seen is like two terabytes internally. So you could expand your computer up to four terabytes with external hard drive and just run the plug out into your MacBook. And and the reason why it's for MacBooks is because MacBooks have a standard design Versus like there's, you know, hundreds of different types of PCs and body stuff. Yeah. But MacBooks, you know, they only have, I want to say like maybe three or four different styles. So, yeah, I mean, I want to, I want to license that to somebody like Encase or Casemate or an, another company who's, you know, privy to being in the Apple store. Yeah, I've been working on that for a few years now. I finally, I have a prototype it's not working as far as it's not functional, but you can, you, it illustrates the idea, mm-hmm. uh, but I'd like to get a working prototype and then file the full patent shortly. Yeah, that's nice. I know particularly for the new MacBooks because they're getting thinner and thinner. Uh-huh. And it seems like they're sort of stripping more and more out of it in terms of, I guess, just like ports and peripherals right. and things like that. They seem to be taking more out to make it thinner and thinner. And I believe the newest one that's out, the newest version of the, it's either the MacBook or the MacBook Air. I know people were having problems with the thinness, that it was too thin. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. Just in terms of being able to carry it around. And it didn't feel substantial enough, right. I guess. Which, I don't know. That's that's an interesting kind of thing for an Apple product. Usually, a lot of their quality is around the build. So that's that's an interesting thing to, to sort of note. Well, Vaughn, just to kind of wrap things up, where can our audience find out more about you and about your work and empty box media online. Yeah. So the company website is emptyboxmedia.com. You can find me on Instagram uh, at Mr. Dabney, D-A-B-N-E-Y. You can find me on Twitter, Von Dabney. 
is my uh, Twitter name. And I also have an Empty Box Media account on Instagram, which is just Empty Box Media. Um, doesn't have many pictures on it right now, so I'm working on that. That's part of my hiring process to hire <laughs> a social media manager. And the Facebook page is Empty Box Media as well. So facebook.com forward slash Empty Box Media. All right. Yeah. Sounds good. Well, Vaughn Dabney, thank you again so much thank you, for coming on the show, for, for talking about Really, we're talking about your journey. I think the part that struck me the most is when you're, you were talking about that first year of business. Mm-hmm. And really, from there, it brings a lot of the other things that you've talked about into perspective, specifically as it relates to, to being happy, yeah. you know? Yeah. Because when you start at what looks like a very low point, um, it, can, it can seem like you don't really know what the next step is going to be. Right. And so when you look at where you're at now and then look back at those times, you know, you sort of have that, uh, there was, what's the saying? Hindsight is 2020. Yeah. You can look back and really see kind of your growth and where you've come from. So again, thank you so much, man. I really do appreciate thank it. Thank you. And that's it for this week. Big thanks to Vaughn Dabney and thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Vaughn and his work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. Thanks, of course, as always, to our sponsors, MailChimp and Hover. When it comes to email marketing, MailChimp makes it simple. They have great in-depth reporting, new and improved autoresponder features, and you can send 12,000 emails to 2,000 subscribers for free. No contract and no credit card required. Check them out at MailChimp.com. Hover takes all the hassle and confusion out of buying and managing your domains. Search for a few keywords and Hover will show you the best available options across all the domain extensions out there. Ready to get started? Save 10% off your first purchase by using the promo code REVISIONPATH at checkout. This episode was edited by RJ Basilio and produced by me, Maurice Cherry. Our intro is by Music Man Dre with intro and outro audio by Yellow Speaker. Make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes. Leave us a rating and a review. It really helps us get new listeners. I'll read your review right here on the show. And it's just a great way to help support the show by doing something that is totally free. It only takes a few minutes to do. Provision Path is brought to you by Lunch, a multidisciplinary creative studio in Atlanta, Georgia. If you like the work Provision Path is doing with the podcast and the website, then visit us over at Patreon and become a patron. Just go to patreon.com forward slash Provision Path and pledge your support. Pledge levels start at just $1 per month and you'll get access to behind the scenes information about the show, upcoming interviews, and so much more. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next time.